grad student. Okay, let's start off today's episode with an important announcement. The Dear Grad Student podcast will officially be taking a summer break starting after the last episode of the season is released, which is happening on June 14th. Lucky for you, the podcast is going to return at the beginning of August with a very special guest, so be sure to check out the podcast on Twitter at Dear Grad Student and on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod for more on that coming soon. But what that means is that including today's episode, there are only three more episodes until the podcast is on a break. And after today, only two episodes. Wow. I promise that at some point I'm going to have some kind of podcast reflection on the immense impact that all of this has had on my life over the last year, but today's not that day, so you're just going to have to wait. Some other things to mention before today's episode. As always, I am not a doctor or a provider of healthcare services in any way, nor is my guest Kimberly. We are simply sharing our own experiences and giving some personal advice, none of which is medical advice. Lastly, as this episode is about mental health, just want to pop in a quick content warning that self-harm and suicide are mentioned in today's episode, but we don't discuss either topic or situation in great detail. And with that, let's head into today's episode. Today's episode is all about doing grad school with bipolar disorder with incoming second year PhD student, Kimberly Fiak. Hello listeners, welcome back to Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana, I'm a fourth-year doctoral student and your host, and I'm joined today by an incoming second-year PhD student studying neuropathology and brain diseases, Kimberly Fiak. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here because this was the first podcast I ever listened to. (gasps) Ever, ever? Ever, ever. (gasps) Wait, okay, I'm really honored because my first podcast ever, ever was like a big podcast. It was Potterless, which I've talked about a bunch of times. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. And now I feel full circle because my podcast was someone else's first podcast. Yes, it was. It was recommended to me by my roommate from college, also a grad student. So this feels very like coming together full circle for me as well. Oh my gosh. Hang on. I did not know that because what we will get to this in literally 30 seconds, but Kimberly has an excellent Instagram account. I thought you just found me on Instagram. Nope. It was recommended to me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wait. Oh my God. So not only did you not find me on Instagram, which is also not totally surprising because I'm absolutely awful at Instagram with the podcast. Someone recommended it to you and I was the first podcast do you ever listen to? I feel like I'm done. I've done it. I've done it. it. This is it. I've made it. Wow. This is it. Congratulations. You've made it. You can be done now. This is the last episode of the podcast. This is the last episode. Thank you all for joining us for the last... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm incredibly honored. Also, we talked for 30 minutes and I'm really like happy that you saved that for while we were recording to get my genuine reaction of like, wow, thank you. Well, super happy to have you, Ms. Recommended by a friend, first podcast ever listener, hair flip on the background here. Uh, Before we get started with the episode, I want to make sure people can find you online. I've already said it's on Instagram. Uh, But Kimberly, where can the people follow your amazing, fantastic very well-managed academic Instagram account. (laughs) Yeah, so I do have an Instagram. That's my only social media account for my science communication, but it's called The Path PhD, path like pathology. So T-H-E, 
P-A-T-H, P-H-D. Amazing. Yes. So we will have that linked in the description. Even if you're not into like medical stuff or if you're not even a science person, you're like, you could be like an English major, like listening to this podcast. Kimberly runs a fantastic Instagram account. I feel like I have learned about pathology, but also just the way that you weave in your own experience and like you communicate that alongside, like you'll do these really excellent infographics about like different disease processes or like, what are we looking at? And then like the next thing is about like mental health or the next thing is just about like you as a person and the fact that like you're getting married soon, which like we'll talk about too. And it's like, to be a person in all of this kind of has like the same energy as like what I'm going for with the podcast where like I'm a person in all this. So I just really like it. So I really recommend everyone checks it out. Uh, not to brag on you, but I really oh my recommend God. it. <laughs> no, that makes my heart happy because that's really what I want to go for. I mean, I follow a lot of pathology accounts that are run by actual pathologists who have medical degrees, which is fantastic, but they're very cut and dry. Like here's the medical like terminology for this. And I've been in this field for three years and I can barely understand what they're saying sometimes. So I really wanted to make it accessible. But then the more I was doing that, the more I realized I also needed people to recognize that I was a human being and a person and I have other things in my life outside of pathology. Yeah, absolutely. One of which is that you're getting married in two weeks. Oh my gosh. Yes, I am stressed. I am stressed for you. You are getting married by a very special person in your life. Who is marrying you? Yes, I am getting married by my PI or yes. the uh, person whose lab I work in. Oh my And I'm God. super excited. He and I have a really great relationship. He's super supportive. Um, he's been there pretty much for the whole process of my relationship because it started while I was a grad student in his lab. Um, so I'm super excited that he's going to be there. He's been a great support for both my fiance and I. See, and I love sharing that because I feel like a previous episode I just had was like a bad mentor experience and switching advisors. And now we have like the other side, which is that like my mentor experience is so good. He's marrying us. Like that is incredible. I am like still kind of speechless from when you just like very casually dropped that before we started recording. But let's talk about your lab and like what you do. So what do you research in grad school and like how did you kind of land on that? Yeah, absolutely. So my lab looks specifically at a protein called tau, uh, which is really well known in Alzheimer's disease. So it's one of the main contributing factors, uh, but it's also really important in development. And when neurons are growing, they're creating connections with other neurons, they need stability to do that. So the tau protein basically helps the axon, which is the part where signals travel down, stay stable so that neurons can communicate. Um, so my lab looks at tau in development, which is a really unique thing that most labs don't do. Most labs look in, in disease, but we kind of do both. Um, and the reason being that we know kind of a decent amount about tau in the context of disease and kind of how it misfunctions more or less, but we really don't know a lot about its normal function. Um, and I like to use this example of like a toaster. Imagine you didn't know what a toaster did and the toaster broke. You don't know how to fix it if you don't know what it actually does. So it's the same kind of concept. You can't really fix tau if you don't really know what it does normally. So that's kind of why we look at it in development. No, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if we're talking about like, this is contributing to a major disease, like you don't know what's normal behavior for the protein. You don't know what's like abnormal. And if you don't know what's abnormal, you can't like differentiate to figure out how to target, how to fix whatever the problem is. Yeah, exactly. And then how, how does your research then like interact with your Instagram? What do you share on there in conjunction like with your research and like what you do there? 
Yeah. So I share a lot about my current project, which is looking at stem cells and using those as a model system. So we essentially take stem cells, which are super cool cells. They have the property to become any other cell type in your body. That's kind of the point. Um, We take those and we make them into neurons, just like the ones in your brain. And we can use that to answer different questions about what happens to tau, either in development or in disease. So I talk a lot about that and giving tips for working with those because not a lot of labs do that. And then I like to share, if you think about disease, we talk about the clinical symptoms of disease. So people know with Alzheimer's, you have dementia, Parkinson's, you have tremors, but people don't really know what that actually looks like. So I like to present, you know, if we're looking under a microscope, here's what we look for when we're trying to make a diagnosis about a disease. And I say we, but really I should clarify, I'm not a pathologist. I do not have a medical degree. I work very closely with my PI who is a pathologist and I learn a lot from him about that. Do you think you would ever go to med school to like get your MD to be a pathologist? Honestly, I debate this all the time. I didn't really know, which kind of ties into how I got into this field. So I did an internship as an undergrad in a neuropathology lab and I loved it. I loved everything about it. That was the first time I held a human brain. It was life-changing. So I knew I loved neuropathology, but I struggled a lot with my mental health in undergrad and I wasn't sure I could even handle grad school. So I did my master's first to kind of test the waters, loved it, started my PhD. And now I'm like, I'm done with school. I don't want to go back. So I don't think I would, but I am also in a position where I'm very fortunate that I'm learning a lot about the diagnosis of disease and kind of how do pathologists look at that? How do they make decisions? How do they write it up? How do they express that to other clinicians? So I'm kind of getting that knowledge and Um, using that in my role in the brain bank. And I don't think I really need the formal education. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I know that that's something you also will talk about, about like the differences between like a pathology PhD versus like a pathologist who's like an MD. I mean, it kind of reminds me about like psychiatry and clinical psychology, um, where they do very different things kind of in the same place. And the fact that like PhD clinical psychologists, like they can't prescribe medicine, whereas like medicine's a huge part of mental health. So it reminds me a lot about that, where like you're kind of in the same realm, but they totally serve different purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And there are definitely people who do both. Like my PI is, he's an MD, but he runs a research lab. So he kind of gets both sides. So there's absolutely a need for both, but I just, I don't have an interest in interacting with patients as maybe as bad as that sounds. That's just not what interests me. So it's not medical school is probably not the right path with me, which is totally fine. Yeah. And honestly, no, that doesn't sound bad at all. You're talking to the girl who just dropped clinical psychology because the patient interaction thing was not my thing. Even though I'm a people person and I like people and I liked all my clients, it just like wasn't my thing. So doesn't sound bad at all. I totally understand. And we are on the research train. So it's Love a good it. train to be on. Love it. Well, you have already mentioned what we're going to be talking about for today's episode, but so many people are either discovering that they have mental health things going on in grad school or they're continuing their journey. And it is a totally different world in grad school when you have anything that you're working on with your mental health. So Kimberly, can you talk a little bit about when your mental health came to light for you, how you started working on it and like heading into grad school with like the knowledge that you had on all of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have a family history of bipolar disorder. So from a very young age, I kind of knew to be looking out for certain things that would be going on because 
I knew there was a very high likelihood that I would also develop it as an adult. My dad's mother, so my grandmother on my father's side had bipolar disorder. My dad had bipolar disorder and then I developed it in my early to mid teens. So I kind of knew, uh, which I think is unique. I think most people don't necessarily know to watch for those symptoms. And that has made me super hyper aware which is a good and a bad thing. And I'll talk about that a little later, but I was diagnosed first with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was in high school. And it was kind of right around the time, a little bit after my dad had actually passed away and that kind of triggered it, I think. And I, I hate to use the word trigger, but it it kind of did. Um, and that really started it. I had had tendencies prior to that, but after that, the obsessive thoughts for me, that's how it presents is really bad obsessive thoughts where I spiral. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it first started. And I, I couldn't really control that. Um, and so I had some problems uh, with that and maybe we'll put a trigger warning on this episode, but I had some problems with self-harm and that really kind of was the first sign that like something wasn't right with me, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so then I graduated high school and I got offered an internship at my undergrad university for the summer before my freshman year started. And I did that and I struggled immensely. I was in a new environment. I was doing research for the very first time. I was away from family for the first time and I just could not like process and handle all of that. And so that's when it got really bad. And I was like, okay, you know what? I need to talk to someone. I need help. Yeah. Good for you. So I Thank you. So I went to the school psychiatrist who was my psychiatrist all four years of college and developed a really great relationship. And he was like, you know, I'm going to call you pre-bipolar right now. Essentially, like he didn't have enough information to make a diagnosis, but he wanted to watch for the symptoms kind of as I progressed into my first year of of college and kind of see what was going on with me. So I was in that kind of pre-bipolar stage. We were kind of pretty sure that was what was going on because I had those kind of symptoms. I had a family history, everything kind of aligned. Um, and then my, pretty much my first semester of, of freshman year, he was like, okay, I'm going to confidently diagnose you with bipolar disorder. Um, I had a lot of problems with mania. I don't have as much depression for me. It presents much more intensely with mania and then shorter periods of depression, but everyone's very different. My dad was the opposite. He had a lot longer periods of depression, a lot shorter periods of mania. So it's very variable, but that was kind of my first experience with it. And it was rough. I was battling, you know, being a freshman in college for the first time. That's wild. Being on your own, having your own schedule. Like I said, I moved across the country. So I was in a new environment and neuroscience, that was my major. And that was really hard because you're learning about the things that are going on in your brain, but like you can't, you can't really connect those two things. I totally relate to that. Like in psychology, it was like the same thing where you're like, oh no, (laughs) like, yes, this is me. (laughs) I was a neuroscience and a psychology major. So I had like the things that were happening like on a chemical level. And then I had all the things that were happening like on a psychological level. And then I had like those things happening in my body. And it was just, it was a lot. The hyper awareness for that too is like very intense. Like I've talked about this with my partner before. Like when my um, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, mood disorder around my period, when that's really bad and I have anxiety, I'll literally be sitting in front of him being like, I'm having intense anxiety. And I can do nothing to change it. Like I'm using all the skills and it's not changing. I just know exactly what's going on. And now, now I feel worse because I know what's going on and I can't make it any better. And now I'm upset that I can't make better what I know is going on. And it's like the spiral, man. (laughs) Yes. And that was exactly what it was like for me. So I went to my professors because I was like, this was all new for me. So I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to share and hope that helps. 
Um, it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the right call, but I don't want to discourage people from sharing because that's like my moral of the story at the end of this. But in the beginning, I, you know, I went and shared with a professor who was very well known in the neuroscience field, very well respected at my university and said, Hey, I was just diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I am struggling in your class. I am trying out all these different medications. I'm in this new environment. Everything's really hard for me right now. I need help to pass your class. And he basically told me that bipolar disorder wasn't real and that I was just being really dramatic and I was making excuses because I was actually just a poor student and that's why I was failing his class. Oh my God. So, and then the next week he proceeded to teach a lesson on psychiatric disorders and bipolar disorder and OCD and all that stuff. So that was awesome. I was like, uh, what do I do now? So yeah, like I said, so sharing probably wasn't, it was the person I shared with. It wasn't necessarily the act of sharing. So not discouraging anyone from that, but that was really hard because I was like, okay, well, like maybe I am just making it all up. And then I proceeded to spend the next four years going on and off my medications because I was like, oh, I'm just dramatic. So I don't need medication. I'm Mm. fine. And then having a horrible manic episode and, you know, spending $3,000 on things I didn't need because that's just what you do when you're manic. You're like, yeah, risks, whatever. I don't care. So it was brutal. And that really kind of set the foundation for the like challenges that I had in college because I was like, well, no one believes me anyway. So I didn't go seek out accommodations from the university because I was like, no one's going to believe me. I'm just dramatic. And I struggled to manage my medications and go to therapy consistently because I was like, it's not real. And I'm just making it up and I'm just dramatic. And maybe I am just a terrible student. And I'd like to caveat this with, I was a straight A student in high school. So I was not a poor student. I'm not a bad student. Um, I got a C in that class and I got a C in a lot of neuroscience classes in college because I just couldn't do it all. Yeah. And I started a medication called lithium, which is really great for manic episodes, but I lost my memory. So I lost the whole year of college. Mm. Uh, And after that kind of things just went downhill. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like still like recovering from hearing about that professor. I mean, it sounds like, and I think you used this word before we start recording, but like traumatic, like it just really proves how much words matter. Like the fact that like that led to years of like really just like gaslighting, like basically gaslighting of your experience and like doubting yourself. I just, I just really can't get with people telling someone that you don't have this thing that you've been diagnosed with and you're telling somebody that you have, especially professors. It reminds me a lot of the disabled in grad school episode that I had way back when, which I'll link in the description, which I bring up every episode because it continues to be relevant, just about like asking for accommodations and not getting them and like how absolutely wild that is that people think that they are all knowing like, oh, you don't need this. Like, who are you? Well, and the thing is too, it's always really a big challenge with mental illness because nobody can see it. Mm. So they're taking your word for it. And that's not to say that people, you know, lie about it or things like that, but it's a subjective experience. And some people just don't want to believe that. They just don't want to believe that you have a problem, even though you say you do, because they don't live it. They don't see it. Mm. Um, And I get this a lot, actually. I get told quite frequently that there's no way I'm bipolar because I'm so normal. And you can't Mm. see this because it's a podcast, but I'm putting normal in quotes because first of all, like what does normal even mean? But I think it's because I'm super A, hyper aware of my illness and I know when something's going on with myself and B, I'm very high functioning. And I hate to say high functioning, but in this case, what I mean by high functioning is that 
despite what's going on, if it's a manic episode or depressive episode, I still go to work. I still do my job. I still maintain my relationships. I still take care of myself because I don't have another choice. That's what I have to do for me. That's, that's just how I cope with what's going on as I take care of myself, which kind of sounds weird and counterintuitive, but it's because of the experiences I had with my family. Both of the individuals in my family that had bipolar disorder died by suicide. And so I know what that result looks like. And I know what that lives like from my own experience. That's how I grew up. I grew up without my dad because of this mental illness. Mm. So I don't want that for me. So if the only way that I can get through is to keep doing it, even when things are hard and even when I hate it, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like as well with you being hyper aware and like really with where society is now with mental health, that you have this opportunity where like, it, and it sounds like, I don't want to like predict what you are. You haven't gotten to that part of the story yet. Uh, but that like you are on top of your mental health, meaning that you're seeing a therapist or that you're under great care so that you can get the support when you need the support. And it sounds like you have a lot of skills and like a lot of those coping mechanisms so that like when you're in a depressive or manic episode and you have things to do, you have healthy ways to manage that so that those things can keep happening. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I was going to get to. So I didn't have any of that in college as an undergrad. I, you know, I bounced around with medication and that was working for a while. And then it wasn't, I bounced around with therapy. I didn't have any successful coping strategies, which is why it was super challenging and hard and why I didn't believe I could do anything with my life because I was barely hanging on. Um, And I was told by many people that I would not be a good scientist, that I would not be a successful scientist because I just didn't have it together. Uh, which was hard because I had wanted to be a scientist my entire life. Oh. All I've ever wanted to be was a scientist since I was That's five years old. So cute. I, yeah. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was five. And so I was going to cure cancer and oh. I've wanted to be a scientist ever since. Wow. I don't do cancer research. So sure, but, sorry, mom, yeah. but it's okay. You can yes. cure Alzheimer's. <laughs> Exactly. So, but that's all I've ever wanted. So to be told by professors in my field that I would never make it. And then I was also struggling with my mental health and coping as a human being in this world. It was just rough. And so I just, I couldn't, I wasn't in a place in my life to develop strategies, but I graduated. Woo! I figured it out somehow. I graduated and I was like, I really want to do more. I want to be a scientist. Nothing's going to stop me. How do I do this? And I obviously wasn't in a place to do a PhD because I didn't have the grades. Mm -hmm. So that was fine. I applied for master's programs and I was like, I'm just going to figure grad school out. Let's see if I can even handle it. And I got into my master's program at the University of Iowa and that changed my life. I'm forever grateful for that program. I did research independently and did it well as a scientist. I learned how to take care of my mental health. I started therapy consistently, developed coping strategies, you know, developed a support system. And it it really changed my life. I was not in an environment in undergrad to be able to develop those skills and take care of myself. And transitioning to grad school really helped that, which is kind of ironic because grad school is in and of itself comes with a lot of challenges for mental health. Yeah, it's almost like a pressure that like forces that change to happen. Mm -hmm. Like I think for a lot of people, the reason they discover they have mental health things is like that pressure. It's like whatever was bubbling under the surface, like it comes up. And for you, because it was already on the surface, it was like, I just have to, like, if I want to be able to do this master's degree, which it sounds like you were like, look, 
go big or go home. Like I want to do this. I'm making it happen. It just inevitably became a thing of like, I have to, I have to take care of this. Like there's no other option for me in order to be successful. First off, I'm really proud of you. Congratulations you. on like Thank you. doing that because bipolar can be very difficult to manage. It is manageable, but it's very difficult because it can be a little bit unpredictable and it can feel very intense. I don't have bipolar, but I was helping treat bipolar. Like I've had clients who had bipolar. I don't know if you have bipolar one or two or I bipolar, bipolar one. one. Yeah. And exactly what you're saying. It's, it's unpredictable. And that is hard in grad school when you are a full-time employee and you're yeah. a student and you, again, I was in a new environment and new environments and changes and things like that can very much trigger episodes, but you're exactly right. I was in a situation where it was like, if I want to get through this, I have no choice but to address this. And yeah. I didn't have that same pressure in college. And I think that for that reason, I'm forever thankful for my decision to go to grad school because it really made me say, you know, if I want a future, if I want to do the things I want to do, I need to get this under control. Well, again, super proud of you. And as I'm like hearing this, like, first off, thank you again, like for all of your vulnerability and like opening up about this and and talking about it. I love sharing stories like this to like decrease that stigma and also like Mm -hmm. letting other people know, like, I know there are other people in grad school with bipolar disorder. I know people who aren't you who are in grad school with bipolar disorder. So there are a lot of people with different things going on. I would love to hear a little bit about like how your diagnoses, because I know you also have that OCD diagnosis, how those have sort of like uniquely impacted grad school or uniquely interacted with with it while you were in grad school as well? Like what has it been like as a grad student sort of with this knowledge about like what's going on and like how you've managed it along the way? Yeah, I think as I said before, you know, sharing as an undergrad wasn't the right decision for me. It didn't help, but Mm -hmm. I realized that in grad school, if I didn't share about what was going on, I was never going to be successful because I needed support. So Mm -hmm. I think that was something that made me uniquely vulnerable and uniquely honest with the people that I worked with because I needed their support to be successful. So I went to my PI from the very beginning and said, look, I have bipolar disorder. Sometimes it's going to be really great and smooth sailing and things will be okay. And sometimes I'm going to struggle a lot and I may not be able to do all the things that you need from me. And we need to be able to work through that together and balance it so that I can graduate and that I can be successful in this lab. How can we approach this together? And I think that's an experience that people who may not have fully come to realize that they have problems with their mental health or challenges with their mental health or people who have, but are too scared. They may, you know, they may not get that support that they need because they don't talk about it. And so I think having gone through all that as an undergrad and was like, look, here's what I need to be supported. That made me more honest with myself about Mm. what was going on when I was struggling and more honest with others so that I could get help. Uh, In undergrad, I didn't tell people when I was struggling or if I was challenged, if I had challenges that were going on in my life, I just kind of kept it to myself and just muddled through the best I could. And that really hurt me and my growth as a Mm. student and as a person. So my kind of thing now as a grad student is like, I want to be successful. Mm. I want to do well at my job. I want to be happy. And if that means that I need to share with other people, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's scary. It's so scary, especially in academia and especially in science where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who will say like, you don't have that or like, I don't want to help you. I don't want to support you. I don't want to accommodate you. Yeah. That's really scary. But if you're not honest with yourself or others, you're definitely not going to get the support you need. 
Yeah. Well, it's just so interesting. Like I'm loving this perspective because I feel like really often we'll hear somebody who's had the experience of one or the other, right? Like they, they shared and it was incredibly traumatic and it's affected them since, or they shared once and it was wonderful. And so like, oh, it's easy. Everyone can do it. Where you have had both, where Mm -hmm. you shared, it totally screwed you over sort of internally in the sense that like, it just led to a lot of doubt and it just affected the way you managed your mental health for years. And then you had an experience where you shared in a way that was like, this is the support that I need. And it sounds like you had a lot more knowledge about yourself and your needs at that point, but you shared and then it was beneficial. I just love this perspective because it's really easy, I think, to discount the voice who's like, oh, just share, it's easy. But you don't have that, right? Because you have the experience of like, no, I shared and it was awful. I shared again because the support that I needed and like, and it worked out. And hey, you should share, like learn about yourself, learn about what you need and advocate for that because it's life changing when you do so. And I don't want to say it's the only path to success. That sounds really dramatic and probably isn't true, but like, it's what you need to be successful. And like, that's okay to say. Yes. And I think that you definitely nailed it. I think I'm not going to advocate for everyone to share because maybe that's just not the right decision for you where you are in your life right now. And that's okay. But I think that the reflection and the like self-awareness is the key that made the experiences different. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm just trying to figure this out. I don't know what's going on with me. It was so easy for someone to come in and say, oh, well, you don't know what's going on with you. Clearly you're making it up. Mm. Once I became aware of what was going on with me, I knew Like, it was kind of like, almost like I had a plan, if that makes Mm. sense. Like I knew, okay, if I'm having a manic episode, here's the support I need. Here's what's going on with me. Here's the signs. I'm having a depressive episode. Here's what's going on. Here's the signs. Here's the support I need. And then I, it was so much easier to share because I was more aware of kind of what I needed and what I was going to give in, in that kind of exchange in a relationship where I didn't have that in the first experience. And I think that makes all the difference. So if you are in a place where you're like, I need the support and I'm going to share about it being really self-aware of kind of walking them through essentially like what that's going to happen and what that's going to look like, I think makes the difference because then it's more obvious what support you need. And it's more obvious kind of what that's going to look like. Cause it's really hard. I will say like, it's very hard. I think for other people to look at someone and be like, Oh, you're in a manic episode. Like, okay. Like, here's what I do. Like, people don't know that. And and it's different for everyone. You know, my manic episode is not going to look like someone else's manic episode and it's not going to last as long and it's not going to be as intense or maybe it'll be more intense or whatever else. So I think having that self-awareness and bringing that to the table when you're sharing makes the experience much different. Absolutely. I also really like how you're like, you can't just look at a person and like know what's going down. I mean, you're talking like I'm somebody who is like in clinical psychology was gosh, okay, I was in clinical psychology. <laughs> uh, and you know, you, we are taught to look for certain things with manic episodes like press speech, or like the the grandiose ideas, people not sleeping, different things like that. But you still can't look at a person and know. I think that in the way that our media or like even like film and TV shows bipolar, you think about like an old raggedy man, like running around in a downtown, you know, like I just think about like the most stigmatized like vision that I can think of. And that does not what mental health looks like. I love that you are here speaking on this. It really reminds me of the other two episodes that I've had about mental health. One with Karen Tang, which I'll link below, talking about her experience with depression and different things like that. And then with Katrina Dean, where she talked about having borderline personality disorder. 
Okay, so here's a little bit of behind the scenes. Obviously, I don't always record these episodes in the order I release them. And this is a great example of that. Because if I had recorded them and released them in the same order, I would have mentioned last week's episode with Noor Sharif, where we talk about her mental health journey for like 20 minutes of her episode, right about now. So there is another episode for you to check out. It's last week's episode. It's going to be linked in the description if you want to give it a listen. Okay, back to the podcast that people in grad school doing the hard stuff. And I've like read people's papers who were like my guests. I always like to like look at what they do. And I think it's really interesting after I've met them, like are doing this. So if you are somebody listening, who's like in undergrad, maybe you're going through something similar and you're like, everyone's telling me I can't do this because I have X. Well, I will continue to have guests to show you that you can. And I really love your advice, Kimberly, because I feel like it's so specific. And I feel like it's like really good guidance in the sense of like, it's not just, oh, ask for accommodations. It's like, learn about you. Figure out what you need to learn about yourself to know like what you need in what context, because it also helps other people. I love you said this one word. And I think I, I think I like moaned for 30 straight seconds when you were like, it's part of that exchange in the relationship. It's a give and take. Right. So it's like you need to let them know what you need so that they can give you what you need. I love that because who's giving that kind of guidance as a previous therapist? I'm like, you have worked on this. I like can hear it. I'm like, girl, you get it. Like, yes, I think. I think you're right. Like I have been, and we all have been so Mm -hmm. trained to see only the extremes in mental illness. So we see like, if you think about like an iceberg, we see the very tip, we see, you know, the like self-harm and suicidal ideations as being like what we anticipate with like depression or like, you know, people who can't get out of bed for months at a time is like depression. And with mania, we see people who have grandiose ideas, people who are extreme risk takers. And that's what we were like, okay, we see that we get it. But then there are people like me that that's not how I present. When I have depression, I still get out of bed. I still take care of myself, but I lack a lot of motivation. I'm not as excited about things. I'm not as interested about things. And that's depression for me. And people don't see that. They're like, oh, you're fine because you're getting out of bed. And same with mania. For me, mania is not necessarily lack of sleep. For me, it's I can't turn off my thoughts. So I have a really hard time focusing on things. And I get really, really angry. I get very irritated very fast. And I get angry for like months about Mm. things that really don't matter. That's how it presents for me. But people don't see, you know, me gambling away my life savings. So they're like, oh, you're fine. And that's. My whole goal is that I want people to realize that you don't have to present in this extreme way for that to be your experience and for it to be okay for you. So being self-aware, knowing yourself and knowing how it presents so that you can express that to others makes people realize that there's more than one level to this. There's more than just that tip of the iceberg. There's all the things beneath the surface. You love a good tip of the iceberg reference analogy in the Dear Grass Student podcast. I don't think we've had a lot, but I feel like that's such a good analogy for like literally every single episode of everything. Okay, we are going to take a quick pause because what is a Dear Grass Student mental health episode without thinking a mental health sponsor for the podcast? Today's episode is being sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest online counseling service. They assess your needs and they match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available worldwide. You can easily access your account at any time and send a message to your counselor or schedule your weekly sessions all online. 
so easy. Plus, if you decide that your counselor is not a great match for you, which happens, it is easy and free for you to switch if you need to. BetterHelp is more affordable than offline counseling, and there are many different kinds of therapists with different identities who work for them. Plus, there's financial aid available, which I love because it actually makes this an accessible option for grad students or postdocs or undergrads. Whoever's listening, it's more accessible for you because of this. Plus, they offer more diverse therapists and maybe potentially more therapy modalities than might be available in your area. So as a Dear Grad Student listener, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash deargradstudent. And you spell that B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. Again, the full link for 10% off your full month of therapy is betterhelp.com slash Dear Grad Student. You can also find that link at the bottom of the episode description or on the support page of the podcast website, and it will take you right to that 10% off offer. I love that. One big piece, obviously, has been you not only learning about yourself, but like finding the support network that you need. Have there been other pieces that have been helpful that you have found have like really helped you like find that balance? Yeah, I think recognizing that it's okay to need different things at different points in your life has been huge for me. Mm. And I'm not in any way saying that I'm against medication because please don't get me wrong. That's not at all what I mean. Medication is super helpful, but I've kind of been shoved a lot with the attitude that like the only way I'll ever manage my bipolar disorder is with medication. And that's not necessarily the case. There was a point in my life when I was in college where medication was everything for me. That gave me a routine. It gave me structure. It gave me the emotional stability I needed to be successful. And that is fantastic. And then when I transitioned into grad school, that was not what helped me be successful. That was not the support I needed. I needed therapy. I needed long-term coping strategies to be able to handle the different types of changes in my life. And that's okay too. So recognizing where you are in your life right now may not be what you need, you know, six months from now or a year from now and being okay with that, I think is also huge. You know, something can work for you for 10 years and that's great. And then suddenly stop working. And then people are like, oh my God, now I'm broken. Like, what do I do now? Mm. And it's like, it's okay. Reevaluate. Let's figure out now what you need and kind of move forward. It's okay to change paths. Yeah. Ooh, I love that like piece of flexibility in it because I think too, like, whenever you're struggling with your mental health, and I'm 100% this way, and I think I talked about this on a previous episode, but it's not out yet, so you don't know this, but like, I have really struggled with my PMDD this year in a way that I really haven't since I was in high school. And it was because I switched birth control methods, which like the birth control switch was great for me in every other sense of the word. But it like really, really along with like COVID, like my anxiety around my menstrual cycle is like absolutely debilitating. My partner and I would get into arguments. I'm just like constantly anxious that I have cancer. And so I have actually started taking an SSRI the two weeks before my period. And then I'm when I get my period, I stop taking it. And then two weeks later, I'll start taking it again. So you take it on the cycle. And this is the first time in my life I've ever taken medication for mental health things. And the decision, like the length of time it took me to finally get to the point of like, okay, I need to try something different. Looking back was longer than it needed to be. And mm-hmm. it was almost like I was lacking I was like lacking the acceptance that I needed to be flexible with it. And I, as somebody in psychology, I know the skills. Like I use coping strategies really regularly. They work very well for me generally. And to get to a point of being like, my coping strategies aren't working. 
was a very frustrating place to be. And I felt <laughs> like, why can't I manage this? What is wrong with me that X, Y, Z? And I finally, like I saw my gynecologist for my yearly appointment and I just like absolutely broke down. And I was like, I just, you know, I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I was like, are something wrong with my hormones? And she's like, the fact that this is happening means that they are functioning perfectly. You <laughs> just have this thing. It's just, it's, I really like that you talk about that flexibility piece because like a change in what you need support wise, whether it be medication or therapy is not a, a mark of failure on you. Absolutely. And I'm living, I'm living it right now. I'm only on my yes. second month of this SSRI. And I, oh my God, I, I'll show you a picture after we're done recording. I had a full on like panic attack, mental breakdown before taking medication. I think I said this in the episode, whatever it's about to come out on Monday. I didn't take a Tylenol until I was 20 because I was like scared of what Tylenol would feel like. So like me taking an SSRI was like, and also like at the most anxious point in my menstrual cycle, I had to take a medication, which is like a specific anxiety for me. Like, Mm-hmm. So I had this like full on mental breakdown. I was like taking selfies and sending it to my family. Like I can't do it. I'm like sobbing. I take it. I start hyperventilating. My boyfriend is just like, I'll get you Chipotle. It's going to be okay. You know, blah, <laughs> blah. Okay. And it's funny because it's so loft. So within 30 minutes, I didn't feel anxious anymore because like Zoloft can hit you with side effects kind of quick. So then I felt anxious, but I didn't have the capacity to feel anxious, which was like kind of funny. I was just like, oh, I'm anxious, but it's fine. Anyways, it really worked for me. I'm only in the second month of it and I'm still learning that flexibility. I'm still getting used to the fact that like, this is what I need right now. And like, that's okay. Yes, absolutely. And it's huge. Like you said, it's not a failure. Your life is going to change. Your situation is going to change. Your environment is going to change. Things are going to change. And you need to recognize that like, Your mental health will change with that and how you attack that, essentially, how you address that is going to change. And that's good. And that's normal. And that's healthy. And let's do it. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Let's let's figure out what works best for you. It's really hard. Mental health gets you kind of in a routine and a pattern. And when that's disrupted, it's very, very hard to shift your mindset. And I totally get that. But if you don't, you're going to struggle more. So we need to start normalizing and recognizing that it's okay if the things that you need change. Mm-hmm. You're growing, you're changing, you're learning more about yourself and you're not failing by having to address things in a new way. Ooh, I am obsessed with that line. I'll also say that it's very interesting you and I talking about these things because your bipolar is it sounds like unpredictable. Mine is entirely predictable to the calendar date. And so I get into this place of like, it's awful. And then I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, I'm totally going to take care of this. It won't be the same next month, blah, 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 blah. And then like one little thing will happen when it's like the day after I ovulate and it, I can physically feel my body like going downward and I instantly start feeling like a failure. And so it's very interesting to have you and I talking about these things, predictable versus not predictable. And yet we're saying the same thing about managing. Like, I just think that that's really cool. I hope that it's speaking to like many people that like Mm -hmm. this relates to everyone, whether what you have going on is predictable or not, like mine's predictable and it still needed to be flexible and I still needed to ebb and flow with it. So I, Ooh, I'm just like still coming down from what you just said. Yes. And absolutely. And the other thing I really want to touch on is like a lot of people feel like they can only get help if they have like a like long-term lifelong Mm. mental illness, like I do, but we're in a situation right now where it is okay. If you Mm. are having like situational depression, situational mental health challenges, and you can seek help right now and then not need help in the future. Woo. That is okay. Like we need to normalize, like being able to seek help when you need it. And if Mm. you no longer need it, stopping it, 
And that's fine. And that's Not fine. everyone is going to have lifelong challenges with their mental health. And that's totally fine. The pandemic has brought a lot of changes to people's lives and people are scared to go get help because they're like, does this mean this is going to be this way forever? Maybe not. And that's okay. So go get help while you need it. And then when you're feeling good, you're happy, you're in a place where you're handling it, move on. And that's totally fine. You don't have to be in therapy forever if that's not what you need forever. So I just wanted to touch on that too, because I know a lot of people I talk to, they're like, well, does this mean I have depression forever? Does this mean I have, you know, anxiety forever? And it's like, no, it's, it's situational and that's expected and that's okay. So, you know, it's fine to seek help for now and then stop when things are, are doing good. That's, that's fine. I love that. I mean, it speaks to the flexibility piece, but also as me, someone who like was a therapist, most people, it isn't lifelong. Like that's actually more common. And like, we don't talk about that piece. And I think where we find people struggling long-term is because when it came up, they didn't take care of it with therapy. And then it became long-term because then it became a thing. So it's like, absolutely. Like if you had a sore tooth, you're going to the dentist. If you're noticing that you're having anxiety more than normal, depression more than normal, Go to your psychologist, like go to a psychologist. Now that's like obviously a very privileged thing to say. It's very hard to find a therapist. Absolutely. But there are lots of apps out there. There are lots of books that you can read, things like that, where like, even if you're just noticing a little bit that you can start on your way to like, okay, well, this is interesting. Like I've never had this symptom before. Like I'm going to maybe go on a waiting list or like, I'm going to reach out to people. And in the meantime, let me check out Headspace. Let me check out these different Mm -hmm. apps and like, you know, start taking care of it. So I really, really love that point. And I really think that it speaks to like probably the more typical grad school mental health experience where it's situational based on grad school. You know, I keep having these people come on where like it is more of like a chronic lifelong thing. And like, that's great to hear from too. And for some people, it's it's situational. And if grad school is causing your mental health, whatever, well, you still need to manage it while you're in grad school doing this thing. Exactly. You know, you don't need to not take care of it because you're like, oh, it'll get better in, in, four, five, six, seven years, whenever you graduate. So, oh, it's fine. I'll just let it go on. No, take care of yourself now so that you set yourself up for success because you never know down the line when something like that will happen again. Nobody anticipated this pandemic. Nobody anticipated the challenges that would come with it. So if you develop those coping strategies now while you're in grad school in this situation that's really hard, in the future, if you're in another situation that's really hard, you'll have the tools you need to be successful and you'll be able to manage it much better. So even if it's not something that's going to be long-term, even if it's three, four, five years, even if it's a year of your life, taking care of it now builds skills that will help you succeed in the future, regardless of if that situation happens again or not. And that was something that was so hard for me to come to terms with was that, yes, for me, I will have bipolar disorder the rest of my life. For me, I may have to go to therapy the rest of my life. I may have to take medication the rest of my life. That sucks. (laughs) That's really hard to come to terms with. But if I develop strategies and I develop support and I develop intuition so I can advocate for the things that I need now in the future, it'll make it easier to do it again and again. Mm. And then it won't seem so daunting that this is going to be the rest of my life. It'll seem a lot more manageable. Wow. I mean, I think that that is incredibly powerful. And I feel like you have really spoken to like, I mean, I've only started talking about my PMDD this year. I feel like I was like closeted for a really long time with it because I was like, you don't want to admit to yourself like, oh, this is a long-term problem that I have because we're all like stigmatized by mm-hmm. society to like, what does it mean that like, blah, blah, like if you have a chronic illness or if you have whatever, 
like I have gum disease now. This is like my new thing. Like I'll probably have an issue with it my whole life, but I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll just brush my teeth how many times a day and floss. I don't think about it like that. But like my PMDD, I'm like, oh, it's this whole blah, 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 blah. And like Mm -hmm. obviously it interacts with my life differently, but like it totally feels different. And so I love that you've spoken to like taking care of yourself now means taking care of yourself later. Like you're setting yourself up for an easier time later. And I feel like that speaks to grad students. I feel like we try to do work on the front end to help ourselves out. So I like that parallel of being like, yeah. this is another way you can help yourself in the future to like prevent future problems. But we are getting to the end of this episode, which is like, I don't know how I feel like this is the fastest hour of my life. I know. But I would love to get to final thoughts now. Final thoughts, of course, for anybody listening. See, I know Kimberly listens to the podcast, so she knows what final thoughts are. So these are for people who don't listen, which is like totally fine. Welcome to the podcast. Final thoughts are going to be like takeaways, things that you hope, you know, like people listening remember from your episode, things that like maybe they're going to start implementing, things that like maybe they can help accept and like start making changes in their life for. This can also be like words of wisdom or advice, which like we have been sprinkling all along the way. But Kimberly, what are your final thoughts? Like what takeaways do you hope that someone listening has from your episode? First of all, I hope that you don't feel alone. If you're in undergrad struggling, if you're in grad school struggling, I hope you don't feel alone. If anything, there is one more, there's two people here that understand what you're going through. So if nobody else in grad school, which Surprise, surprise, that's not the case. But if no one else in grad school is struggling, there are two people here right now that have gone through it, maybe aren't struggling right now, but are have experienced challenges, have, you know, understand and can kind of commiserate with you. So you're not alone. We're here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number two, I really hope that you take away that again, we've we talked about it a lot, but the place you are in your life right now, the things you need right now may not be the things you need forever, and that's okay. Things can change. You can need different accommodations. You can need different types of support. You can need medication. You can need therapy. You can need both. You can need none. All of those things are valid. All of those things are okay. And then number three, if you don't have the extreme presentations that society deems as acceptable or like understands about your disease, you are in no way less valid. You are in no way dramatic or over the top or whatever else. You're valid. Your disease is valid. Your feelings are valid. Everything you experience is valid. You don't have to be the extreme societal, appreciated, understanded, whatever to be, you know, experiencing a, a disorder. Whatever you have is what you have and no one can take that away from you. Um, do you need to start a mental health podcast? I'm just like, wow. That was just like <laughs> I don't you know, it's funny because this is I'm filming another episode for a different podcast tomorrow about mental health. And I was telling Ooh. my fiance yesterday, I was like, I don't feel, and I've talked about this with my therapist too. I'm like, I don't feel qualified to talk to people about this because I, you know, am battling my own things. I'm like, am I really like, do I really have these mental health challenges? Can I really tell people about them? Can I really Mm. give advice? I'm like, I don't feel qualified to do that. So I think that's so funny that you mentioned that because I'm like, this is just my life. Like I'm just telling it like it is in my life, but like other people are like, wow, you're so brave. And I'm like, I don't know. It's my life. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's just like your qualifications are your experience. And I also think yeah. that like you, you clearly know yourself very well just because the way that you talk about this, like I, it's so interesting having been a therapist. I hear like your self-talk and I think that it is, it's so cool to see as somebody who has been a therapist, like 
I'm not trying to be like, this is what success looks like, but like, you're really just seeing like hard work in action. Like, I'm just so yeah. like, girl, yes, like get it because I can just see how hard you work and I can hear it. And I'm like, you're such a fantastic example of someone who like is working hard. And I don't mean that in like an inspiration porn of like, this could be you too. This is a success story. Cause like you said, like you're still living it. But like you're, I can just tell you're working extremely hard and like you care and like you're doing your best. Like that is just so evident. So I think that that's fantastic. Also, I don't know what podcast that is, but I'm totally going to promote it whenever you're on it. I'll promote you on academic Twitter because I know that you said that like you don't like Twitter. You don't get it. Twitter scares understand me. It. it scares <laughs> you, which is so funny because Instagram scares me. I know. Uh, I don't get it. I'm so, yes. I literally like only post for like episodes are coming out and then I post my story and then I'm like, I'm scared. Bye. <laughs> I'll help you out. We'll, we'll chat. I'll help you out. God. Yes. yes okay. If the I'll podcast ever makes a little bit of money, I will totally pay you to be a consultant for the podcast. Oh my God. That's so sweet. Yes. I'll help you. And I just want to say one quick thing, which is oh completely God, just about what you talked before we went. I just want people to also realize that like I've been working on this for years. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, that seems really hard. Like, oh, like, wow, she's in this great place. I'll never be there. Like, please recognize that I didn't just like wake up one day and was like, wow, everything's great. And I'm doing this and I'm taking care of my mental health and like, woo, life's good. Like I've been doing this for years. I've been working actively for years. I've been changing my mindset. I've been trying different things for years. So it's not going to happen overnight. And that's okay. If you're just starting, if you're 10 years, you're 20 years, if you're 50 years into your mental health journey, it's going to keep changing and don't feel bad if it takes time. And if you're listening to me and you're like, I'll never be there, you will, but Mm -hmm. it's going to take time and that's okay. Yeah, I think that my takeaway, like my final thoughts would, I mean, you hit like all the amazing ones. I'm not going to take them away from you. My like big broad picture is like so dramatic, but I'm going to say it anyways. This really is a journey. I said it. There you go. I did say it. But it really is a journey. And I think that it's really interesting, again, having you and I talk about this because we're at totally different stages of our journeys with this. Because if I'm being really honest with myself, like this month and last month, the first times I have not been struggling with my PMDD for like almost a year. COVID really just got me over the edge. Like anything that I had that was keeping me afloat before when I switched birth controls was absolutely wiped out when COVID hit. Like I have never experienced anxiety like I did. Like I already had probably like subclinical health anxiety, but like it was no longer subclinical. It's just one of those things where like, I'm not going to sit here either and be like, I'm in a great place. And and I don't mean like I was in a bad place. That's when I started medication. You can start medication at any point in your journey. But like, right. you're in the middle of your journey at one place. I'm in the middle of my journey, really having relief for the first time in over a year. Like my boyfriend and I were just talking about this, that we have not had a fight in two months because I went on medication, which was very validating because I was like, what's wrong with me that I can't control this? And he would tell me that it was a line. I'm like, no, it's not a line with my period. And then I started medication. We haven't been arguing. And I'm like, oh. Okay. Uh, But it's really validating. Yeah, just kidding. But I think it's validating for both of us to be like, oh, it's not our relationship. It was a hormonal Mm -hmm. change for me that I just couldn't manage. And it wasn't a deficit for me. I just, it just wasn't happening. And like, that's okay. So we're totally different parts of our journey. So yes, it's a journey. That's one takeaway. And I just like, I'm going to reiterate your point about that flexibility, because that for me has been the biggest thing this year. I am somebody, and I think a lot of people in grad school are, I'm pretty type A. I think I have like undiagnosed ADHD, which is another conversation, but I'm like generally type A, even though I can't stand top of my DMs. Sorry. And so for me, I'm very into pattern. I really like routine. Um, I function best 
on routine. Like I do the same things every day. I work from the same hours. Uh, I generally set up to walk or work out at the same time of day. I end every single night watching Survivor once or twice. And so to think about, I need to change things up. I need to adjust to like, I don't do that well. And I had no really find the need to do that in many areas. Grad school is quite monotonous. So to accept that I need to do that, to make those changes, it's like very difficult, but extremely beneficial. So I guess that's all just to say, needing to be flexible about what works now, what's going to work in six months, like that whole point that you made, so valuable. If you're somebody too, who doesn't like transition or like just in general, they like the way things are, and yet that's not working, I am with you. I feel you. And that can be so frustrating when you want one thing and it's not working and you need to do something else, but you don't want to make the change. Like I feel that on a spiritual level. So I'll also finish off with your point about like, you are not alone. I mean, when you said that, I like leaned back in my chair. I put my hands up. I was like, say that. I really think, and I've really thought this through this year specifically, just how isolating grad school can be. Watching people on Instagram and on Twitter, though a little bit more on Twitter, just because it's like text, watching so many people be like, oh my God, this is my first time in academic Twitter. And like, there are so many people saying the same things as me. It's like so refreshing every single time I see that. And the same with Instagram, though I just like don't see it shared. Like, it's just a little bit of a different like, social media environment. You really aren't alone. Somebody somewhere is doing grad school like you are. And that's really the point of this podcast. We're all humans behind this going through normal life things while we do this extremely difficult thing that most people don't choose to torture themselves with. And you just aren't alone. Even if there's no one in your life showing you that Kimberly's there, I'm here. All of my previous guests, we're all here. We got you. So I really liked your takeaways. I'm sorry I stole two of them, but they were just really no, good. I love it. And I just have to say, I'm proud of you for like, if no one said that to you, like, I'm proud of you for the things you share. I'm proud of everyone listening to this. If that's your first step in addressing your mental health is just listening to this. I'm proud of you. And if no one says that to you along your journey, like I'm here, come talk to me, come to my DMs. I'll tell you, I'm proud of you. I'll tell you like what you, if you need support, come to me. Like let's, let's be there for each other because that's, what's going to get us through grad school. See, and Kimberly's really good at responding to her DMs, whereas I am absolute trash. Uh, You know, I've really thought I need to like, I really do need to hire a social media consultant just to like answer my DMs because honestly, like here's what happened. I'll like see something and I'll be like, oh, someone messaged me. I'll be like, I'll read what they wrote. And I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely get back to them when I'm like responding to DMs. And like three Uh, months later, I'm like, shit. Oh yeah. No, I respond. I try to respond right away. I'm, I'm bad. You're really good at it. I'm a workaholic, so I'm always on my phone. And so I, I'm pretty, pretty responsive on Instagram and emails, but I get that. I, I, I have a hard time walking away and I know some people have a hard time picking it up. So I'm like right in the middle, like some things like on my phone, I'm like really on it. I'm tweeting, I'm sharing things. I'm like, blah, blah. I get a DM and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I don't want to deal with that. Interaction. Nope, nope. Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Because I have a podcast, the whole thing is interaction and I'm really good. It's just like the DMs thing. It's like, the other problem I get into is I'll answer everybody at once and then 60 people message me back at once. And I'm like, no, 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 can't do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm working on it, y'all. I'm sorry. So many, I'm so, so I'm just the worst. I'm doing my best and that's all we can ask for. Yes, you are doing your best. Thanks, Kimberly. Well, speaking of social media, let's remind the people where they can find you online, where they can DM you and get a response. We'd love to see that. So Kimberly, where can the people find you online? I'm on Instagram. Uh, My account is called The Path PhD, T-H-E-P-A-T-H. 
PhD. Maybe I'll make a Twitter after this. Maybe I'll, I'll breach that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll. Good news. Kimberly actually made a Twitter like literally the day after we recorded this. And you can now find her on Twitter and on Instagram at the path PhD. Both are also linked in the description. So super easy to find. Go follow her on both. Okay, back to the end of the episode of your favorite podcast. We'll all just stay tuned. Apparently I had a Twitter, like a oh. personal Twitter that I didn't know about. And oh my God, it was so embarrassing. I was on a panel and they were tagging my personal Twitter. Oh. And then they told me they're like, oh, we've been tagging on Twitter. And I didn't know. And it was from like high school. <gasps> and then like people, People from like my university had been like resharing the tweet that oh, I was tagged in, like no. someone that was on my committee and oh. I had not known about this. And like, I had like two tweets and one of them was like, they were just, it was so embarrassing. Oh, I was so embarrassed. No. And then I spent like three days trying to figure out how to shut it down because I didn't know the email oh, no. it was attached to. It was rough. So I'm a little, I'm a little scarred from that experience. You know what? So I might have to to breathe again before like I readdress Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was brutal. It's happened to me as well where, like, I had a Twitter in high school and then, like, basically stopped using it. When I became a therapist, I was like, I don't want people to find me online. Like, it's private and I wasn't really using it. And then I went to an, a conference and everyone was using academic Twitter. So I, like, made a professional account, what, like, five or six, seven years later. And I did not realize, even though my username on my high school account was, like, a random, like, nickname I used to have, it still said Alana Gloger. So... I had these, there were two accounts when you searched that said Alana Gloger and one of them, I think my old handle used to be like EG health psych or something. Now it's just Alana mm-hmm. underscore Gloger. But when you look me up, my mentor, like we had like published our first paper and she tagged the high school account. And yeah. I was like, no, I mean, it was, yeah. and then I like responded to it and I was like, Haha, actually, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I like, I ended up keeping the high school account. I actually don't use it, but now it's just like the user, like the at is the same thing. And like, I changed the picture. Like you can't identify me with it. And like, I don't actually use it for anything, but like every once in a while when it's like 2 a.m. and I still can't sleep and I've checked Reddit and I've checked Instagram and I've checked Twitter and I've checked everything, I'll be like, what's happening on that one account? And then I don't tweet from it. I just like randomly look at things. So like I've kept it, but I don't use it. Anyways, been there. Horrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I don't know if you follow on Instagram, Hannah Shows. She was one of my guests. She is on academic Twitter now, but she was a, an Instagrammer first. So Hannah, if you're listening, maybe you can give Kimberly some advice. Yes. About All making, the tips. Yes. The Instagram to Twitter transition. Well, Kimberly, this has been such a fun time. We had a great time talking beforehand and it really translated to how we were like vibing throughout. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so glad that we made this happen. Yeah, I'm so glad for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that everyone has some really great takeaways from our episode. And maybe we'll like redo this in 2022. Mm. It'll be like one year anniversary. What has changed in our lives? I'll be married. I love that. That's right. Because you're getting married in two weeks. Yeah. So I'll be married. It'll be crazy. That's right. No, I love that. There are so many like episodes I've done with guests where I'm like, ooh, this would be such a good one to do one year later. Like, I feel like at this point, like I'm going to have to do a couple that are like one year later episodes where we do like a 15 minute check in with like a couple of guests because I feel like I want to check the journey. I'm like, how's the journey? (laughs) Yes, do it. Do like one episode where you bring back different guests and then you can all like, we can all chat with each other because I want to talk to so many of the people that have previously been on the podcast because I'm like yes we're all on the same page so oh we'll God, do that I kind of love that oh like a podcast table. reunion <gasps> podcast reunion round table one year yes later. the drama well can really that's a fantastic idea 
Thank you for the millionth time for coming on and being a guest. Listeners, thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Hashtag bye. If you're looking for more ways to connect with your grad student, well, you can check out the podcast at the new fancy podcast website, all made possible by podcast patrons at deargradstudent.com. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at deargradstudent, on Instagram at deargradstudentpod, and closed captionings for some episodes can be found on YouTube by searching Dear Grad Student Podcast. If you would like to join the incredible group of people who are supporting the podcast on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash deargradstudent. I would love to hit 20 patrons before the podcast goes on a summer break, and if you'd like to be part of that, definitely check it out. If you just want to connect with me online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. And if you like what you heard today, you can tell everybody that you know. You can send them straight to the website or you can buy merch and you can advertise the show for anybody who sees it. And if you can, please rate, leave a review and follow Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, wherever you find your other favorite shows. Honestly, y'all, reviews and ratings, they really help the podcast out because it helps convince other people that this is a show worth listening to. And I think it's a show worth listening to. I mean, I've made 38 of these. Like, I, I think it's worth it. As a reminder, all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Thank you.